Good morning. If you don't know me, my name is Jamie Moore. I serve as one of the elders and pastors here, and we are so glad that you joined us uh, for worship this morning. If you're a guest here with us, I just want you to know a couple of things. One, as a guest, uh, we want to invite you after this service. Uh, are we having light bites today? Yes, we are. We are. Okay. If you're a guest, after the service, if you just head out and head that way, there's food and snacks. I will be over there. The staff will be over there. We would love to meet you, talk to you. So if you're a guest, please come and take advantage of that. Right after the service, right down the hallway over here is a, a place for us to eat together and be together. So I just want to make sure that you knew about that. We are continuing our series on identity. Series on identity. And today we are looking at an identity marker that's found in Scripture and it is this, if you have placed your faith in Christ, you've had your sins exchanged for the righteousness of God by grace through faith in Christ, God calls us temples, dwelling places for God. Did you know that that's an identity marker for you in Christ? That you are a temple of the living God. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. This series on identity is, is an important series because it's answering one of the questions that major worldviews are all trying to answer, and that one of those questions is, who am I? Every worldview is asking certain questions, and one of those questions is, who am I? So this series is us trying to discover what exactly does the Bible say about who we are. There's a theme scripture for this series, and it's 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. Paul writes, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Everybody say, not your own. Not your own. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. That's the theme passage for this entire series, that you are not your own but you have been bought with a price, so therefore glorify God in your body. The big idea of the series is this. What, we're, what we feel like the Lord is saying to us is this. We have a creator and a redeemer who has fashioned us and purchased us by his own blood. That's Jesus. We are his and he defines us. Somebody say defines us. He defines us, not the world, friends, family, accomplishments, or even ourselves, we are his kids, and knowing what the Father thinks about us will change everything. The biblical worldview on identity says that we have a creator, and then we have a redeemer who bought us with his own blood. We don't get to decide who we are. He tells us who we are. Does that make sense? That's the big idea. <laughs> I actually don't get to self-define. I don't get to tell people who I am. The Father tells me who I am, and then I live from that identity. That's actually a biblical worldview related to identity. There is a creator, there is a redeemer, and he tells us who we are. And if we were to grab a hold of that, it would literally change everything in your life. Identity. So the message today is in three parts. Number one, we're just going to do quick work on worldview again. 
I'm, gonna rec- I'm, I'm retracing steps from last week because I think repetition is helpful for us. We'll do a little bit of work on worldview, biblical versus current worldview. Part two, we're going to look at temples and dwelling places from 1 Corinthians 3.16. Finally, we'll do some application on the concept of abiding from John 14 and 15. And then we're going to celebrate communion together, and then we'll have ministry time, prayer teams here to receive you and to have some prayer time. So let me pray for us. Let's go at it. Father, we thank you for your presence here with us. We do not take for granted your presence here. You are a good father. And Jesus, we honor you here. You are our creator and redeemer. We yield before you as our king. And Holy Spirit, you are the love of the Father and the Son poured into our hearts. We invite you to come now and to teach and challenge and encourage. And even even now, I ask that you would seal in our hearts our adoption as sons and daughters. That you hear our voice when we cry to you. So we give you this time, Father, Son, and Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 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 Okay, worldview. Worldview is a fancy philosophical term for the lenses or the frames by which we see the world around us. So your worldview is, is like the, the lenses that you look through to see everything going around, around you. So whatever you're looking through is worldview. It's it's the way that you operate in life is through a worldview, uh, through a set of lenses. And worldviews um, are, they're all kinds of worldviews. (laughs) And that people that you encounter are actually functioning in certain worldviews, and and there may be competing worldviews at the same time. Do you know what I'm saying? Like when you're at work and (laughs) somebody expresses a value and you think to yourself, that's a weird value. Well, they're communicating a worldview. They're communicating a way of seeing the world around them. And it's important that we understand that there is a a battle between between biblical worldview and our current cultural worldview. And one of the primary cultural worldviews right now is one that's called expressive individualism. Expressive individualism. We talked about this last week. In this worldview... The highest good, like the best thing that could happen, the the highest good, heaven itself would be individual freedom, individual happiness, individual self-expression, and self-definition. That is the greatest good. And as a a society, we, we want to make sure that this ethic is held up. So whatever we can do so that everyone will feel like that they are expressing themselves exactly the way they feel inside. Does that make sense? That's the highest good. And there becomes social pressure if, culturally speaking, we do not honor everyone's individual self-expression. Does that make sense? And, and we actually feel this. <laughs> we actually feel pressure. It's a social, almost like, a, like an unspoken social covenant in our culture right now. 
that if, if, I do, if we do not always tolerate, tolerate everyone's individual expression and self-definition, that that is somehow bad. What's rejected is external, external authority. So someone telling me something from outside myself is rejected. And what's celebrated is personal authenticity. If I can just be myself, that's to be celebrated. Now, there is a battle, of course, between a biblical worldview and this worldview of expressive individualism. Like, whatever you're doing this afternoon, I just want you to know there will be a battle of worldviews. Like, at work tomorrow, guess what? There's going to be a battle of worldviews. <laughs> biblical versus our current cultural worldview. A couple of questions that all worldviews are trying to answer are this. Where do I come from and where am I going? That's the question of history and destiny. Where do I come from and where am I going? Second question is the question of identity. Who am I? Third question is a question of community. Who are my people? Where's my tribe, right? <laughs> a fourth question is legacy. What difference do I make in the world? And we're all trying to answer those questions. Worldview. So, biblical worldview, we talked about this last week. I'm just going to remind ourselves again. Genesis 1, verses 26 to 27. Genesis 1, 26 to 27. The Bible says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. I want you to see that the primary identity here from creation itself is that we are created in the image of God. That we, male and female, that we reflect the very glory of God, what he's like. We talked last week about that uh, that conviction and understanding is so important because as believers, we have, because of the tribalness that happens in our culture, we have a tendency to look at someone who disagrees with us and begin to demonize that person because of the views that they hold. But even doing that, like you don't, you voted for somebody I think is horrific, therefore you are an, a morally evil person, right? But that violates the image of God in that person. Because actually everyone that you see, even the people that you are, you find the most disagreeable with yourself, actually have dignity, honor, and worth because they are made in the image of God. So I think this is an opportunity for, for the church, for the body of Christ to actually display honor, dignity, value, and worth for all peoples. Because we understand that we are all created in the image of God. So it's critical for us. But Beyond that, that's an extra bonus thing. Beyond that, we see that God is the creator. He tells us who we are. And we used a, an illustration last week of a wine glass and a hammer. And the person who fashioned and created the wine glass created that thing with a specific purpose to do a specific thing. And the, and the person who created and fashioned the hammer created that hammer for a specific purpose to do a specific thing. But if the wine glass thinks to itself, you know what? I'm actually a hammer. If the wine glass doesn't, I don't, I, don't, I don't feel like a wine glass. I feel like a hammer. 
I want to go up to this wall and we have a nail and I want to bash the nail into the wall. What will happen to the wine glass? But it would be destroyed. Because the creator has created this wine glass to do something, to be something. And if the wine glass says, no, I want to be this other thing over here, it actually brings destruction to it. Does that make sense what I'm saying? And, and the hammer, I'm just reviewing what we talked about last week, and the hammer, if the hammer says, you know what, I'm a wine glass because I, I want to bring some fun to the party. So get the bottle of wine and pour it into me. What happens to the wine? It's all over the floor. It's ruined. So the creator, the artist who fashioned the wine glass and the hammer decides what the wine glass is and what the hammer is. The wine glass doesn't decide who he or she is, and the hammer doesn't decide who he or she is. They actually are defined by God himself, the creator, the artist, the fashioner of them. Does that make sense? And that's biblical worldview when it comes to identity, is that we have a creator, and then in a second we're going to talk about we have a redeemer who has bought us. Even if he was just the creator, that is true. Our identity is found in him. But even more so, that's Paul's point, even more so, he has actually bought us with his own blood. How much more should we be identified by him? Two resources that I want to give you that I think will be helpful. Because what I'm saying, and what, what the, it's not what I'm saying, what the Bible is saying is actually uh, offensive in our culture. Is that fair? Is that fair? So I want to give you a couple of resources been extremely helpful to me. One is a podcast called Questioning Christianity with Tim Keller. This will be the best multiple hours of listening of your entire week. I promise you. Tim Keller, Questioning Christianity. Uh, Dr. Keller, this was pre-COVID, was doing a series of lectures in New York, and he's, he's lecturing on major topics like identity, meaning, purpose, major topics. He lectures one episode, and then the next episode is the recording of the Q&A session that happens after the lecture. The audience members are primarily made of atheists and agnostics. So what's helpful to you is that you're hearing Dr. Keller describe biblical worldview on significant topics, and then you get to hear the questions that are coming from atheists and agnostics about what he just said. Does that make sense? And what's super helpful is that you get to hear how Dr. Keller actually is addressing these issues and concerns. So I just want to, I want to submit that to you. Fantastic podcast. Secondly, uh, a book that I just finished reading, it's fantastic, called The Secular Creed by Rebecca McLaughlin. The Secular Creed. Uh, Rebecca is a Brit, uh, wrote this book addressing five contemporary claims in our culture. And what's helpful about it is you're able to watch Rebecca address these big hot-button issues in our culture from a biblical worldview. So she's addressing all kinds of things, including LGBTQ plus issues, abortion, transgenderism, racial reconciliation, all kinds of things. So reading uh, Rebecca would be really, really helpful. Uh, she is same-sex attracted. So I, I was really, really, it was helpful to hear how she is comprehending what's going on in our culture. Does that make sense? So really, really helpful book, The Secular Creed. Okay, let's get actually into the meat here. Temples and dwelling places. We're looking at identity this morning, that we are temples and dwelling places of God. This is 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. 
1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Paul writes, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Later in this book is the theme passage for this entire series, which I read earlier, which is, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, but you were bought with a price. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? I keep repeating this because I have found in my own walk, I've read this passage, but I don't really believe it of me. Does that make sense? Like, this is one of those pat. Look at the passage. Would you say that your life is characterized, like when you go to work or wherever you're going, would you say that your life is characterized by the identity that you are a temple of the living God and he dwells within you? Would you say that? I'm not sure that I would. I'm not sure that I actually live my life with that verse being a primary identity in my life. That's why, that's why we're going to put pressure on this particular identity. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So, what does that mean? Like, I'm, like, I'm a temple, okay? Well, I got feet and hands. Temples are usually buildings, right? So, what does it mean, biblically speaking? What is, what's the biblical theology of our bodies are actually temples of God, that we're actually dwelling places of God. Well, it's interestingly, 2 Corinthians 6.16 6, says this. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? He's addressing idolatry, immorality in this culture. He says, we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among them. I will walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, you may not recognize that language, but that's covenant language. When he says, I will be their God, I will dwell among them, I will be their God, and they will be my people. That's Leviticus covenant language. So I'm going to do this really quickly. But a biblical understanding from Genesis to Revelation is all about this concept of God dwelling with his people, being with his people. It starts in the garden, Adam and Eve. We know this, right? The Bible says that Adam and Eve would walk in the cool of the day with Yahweh, with God himself. The fall comes, Adam and Eve are, are expelled from the garden. They... They lost the presence of God because of sin. Are y'all following me? They, they lost the god withness because of sin and rebellion. By the way, all of us have done the same. Actually, original said we are actually in a state of brokenness and, and uh, dislocation from God himself. But God has said, actually, I, I love these people and I want them to be with me. But I am a holy, righteous God and they are broken, sinful people. And those two things cannot be together. That's the problem, right? Genesis, Old Covenant, and New Covenant, that's the problem. Is that we have all sinned and messed up and we're jacked up in our thinking and our activities and our words. And God is holy and righteous and we're not. And you can't, those two things cannot be together. This is the whole crux of the story of the Bible. Is God figuring out he is holy and righteous. How do I get back with my people who I love who are not holy and righteous? So he puts a plan into place. <laughs> well, he calls the people to himself. 
sees a guy, Abram, he calls the people to himself. Come here. The people of Israel are fashioned and formed. They find themselves enslaved in Egypt. They come out of Egypt. When they come out of Egypt, this great picture of restoration, of salvation, of redemption, when they come out of slavery, bondage, into freedom, something is enacted. There's a covenant that happens right here as they come out of Egypt and they're heading into the promised land. A covenant is enacted. And God says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to create a tabernacle. This is going to be a place where I dwell with you. There's going to be this structure, a tent structure, and this is where I'm going to be. <laughs> and so he actually has an entire, he teaches an entire form of sacrificial system that blood is shed for the sin of the people, right? He says, here's this tabernacle. My glory is actually going to sit in this tabernacle. And then all the people of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, are going to be surrounded by, surround this tabernacle. His glory and his presence is sitting right there. But actually, uh, God's people and God still are not like this yet. They're not walking in the cool of the day yet, actually, because they are outside this tabernacle. And there's only one person who actually can be in the Holy of Holies, where the tabernacle is, where God is. There's only one person who can be in there, only one day a year. You can see how that, this is like, it's getting there, but it's not really God with his people yet. Are y'all hearing me? Fast forward, because this is going to take a while. Fast forward, we have the temple in Jerusalem. Now we have a, a, a structure like the tabernacle that is fixed in Jerusalem. The Bible says that Solomon prayed, they made sacrifices, and the glory and presence of God, the kabod, the heaviness of God, came and filled the temple so spectacularly that the priests actually could not minister there because his presence, his glory was there in the temple. What happens? All of a sudden we see exile is coming. Assyria, Babylon is coming to take the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. We see the glory actually, Ezekiel tells us the glory actually leaves the temple. So God was with his people, but still he had like the one dude, the one high priest could get into the presence of God. But one day a year, and the glory leaves the temple. And there's a 400 years of silence. Like God, God still wants to be with his people. So what happens? The God-man, God, the second member of the Trinity, fully God, Jesus came. He was called Emmanuel, God with us. I <laughs> said God actually comes, the God-man, together, Jesus, actually comes. And he says, I'm actually, my body is the temple, and if you destroy it in three days, I'll raise it. He's talking about his body, the Bible says. Jesus nailed to the cross for the sin of the world. He takes on, literally, your sin and my sin. He takes it on the cross. He is crucified. The debt that was owed for our sins is actually placed on Jesus, and he is buried in the ground. And three days later, he rises. Then Jesus ascends to the Father. And before he ascends, he says, listen, the Father and I are going to send. We're actually going to send another helper. This is the very Holy Spirit. Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the church is gathered. The Spirit of God actually comes and dwells within believers. So follow me. Now, post-Acts 2, believers in Christ are actually mobile tabernacles again. Do are y'all hearing what I'm saying right now? After Acts 2, now the tabernacle, there's a bunch, there's 120 tabernacles at Acts 2. And then there's 3,000 after Peter preaches, right? 
just mobile, mobile little tabernacles where the presence of God is. <laughs> and we get to be a part of this. When, I, when we come to faith in Christ and there is an exchange, our sin for his righteousness, actually we are born again. The Spirit actually comes and we become a new creation. You actually become a temple that carries the very presence of God. <laughs> Isn't this fantastic? And mind-blowing at the same time. It's all covenant language. I will dwell with my people. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And then we see at the, at the very end of the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, Revelation 21, John sees a new Jerusalem coming down. And he hears a voice. God says this. Let me see if you recognize this. God says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Actually, in the end, at the consummation of all things, there is a new garden city in Jerusalem where God is walking with his people again. Dwelling with his people. And in the in-between time, between Acts 2 and the consummation of all things, we are in this already and not yet, where God is with us, yes, but there's still brokenness in the world, isn't there? God is with us, yes, but I still have like actual sin habits, like I actually do things that are wrong, right? And there's this, there's this tension in this in-between time as we wait for Jesus to come and to make all things right. Now, good old-fashioned biblical theology, what are the implications of that for us? Like, what does that mean? Because that's all super fancy and nice, but what does that mean on Monday morning? A couple of implications. Number one, you are made holy by the atoning work of Christ and not by your performance. So when God makes people holy so that he could be with them, actually, it's not about behaving holy and then he wants to be with us. Does that make sense? It's actually about believing Christ who has been holy for us. Okay? This is standard gospel good news. So I just want you to understand, when you start thinking to yourself, I'm a temple of the living God, that, necessi that necess necessarily, is what I'm trying to say, includes holiness, friends. Did you know that God sees you as holy? Positionally holy. Did you know that? I just want to make sure where everyone's clear. God sees us as holy. <laughs> the holy presence of God actually dwells within us. Now that begs a question, doesn't it? Like the question in most of your minds right now is, yeah, Jamie, but I'm not holy. <laughs> like I don't, I don't behave in a way that is holy. There is a tension, in fact, between God seeing us in Christ and the old habits and rhythms of sin and brokenness that have to be yielded to Christ. Are y'all hearing me this morning? So there is a tension between, in Christ, we are the righteousness of God. That's Bible. We are holy. And we have 
old man thinking, brokenness, sin, that we actually have now the resources by the Holy Spirit to fight off. Are y'all hearing me this morning? So one, you are holy. And at the same time, you have the Holy Spirit within you that is actually giving you the capacity to obey Jesus and to follow him and to grow more into Christ-likeness. So when, when we say we are temples of the living God, it is good and right to say I am holy and righteous. That is good and right. And at the same time, I have the Spirit of God within me giving me the capacity and the supernatural strength to actually obey what God has called me to do and to walk in Christ-likeness. Those are two implications. Another implication, your body is a holy place. Sometimes when, when we look at our bodies, we think to ourselves, yuck. Right? Oh, okay, so y'all don't. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> Sometimes we look at our bodies in the mirror, we go, ooh. I didn't realize that was starting to expand right there. And we actually begin to despise our bodies, right? But God actually sees your body as a temple and a dwelling place. There, there are significant implications for that, for the way that you see yourself, the way that you honor your body. And yes, it is true that our, this earthly tabernacle, this earthly tent is wasting away. Paul says that. That is true. But it does not negate the fact that when we curse our bodies by looking at ourselves and seeing deterioration or whatever, and we begin to curse ourselves, that is not how God actually sees our bodies. But he sees us as dwelling places for his presence. So next time you look in the mirror, instead of being like, how about that flesh is deteriorating, but in fact, the very creator of the universe sees that as a dwelling place. And can we just stop for a second? Can, can we just marvel at the fact that the same God who spoke billions of galaxies into being has decided to dwell within? Can, can we just, just, let's just pause for one second and just marvel together. Like we got the Milky Way galaxy, right? And our one star is the sun, is one of billions of stars in just the Milky Way galaxy. And scientists think that there are billions plus galaxies beyond the Milky Way galaxy. Are you following me? So the Milky Way galaxy has billions of stars, one of which is our sun, and there are billions of galaxies. And there's a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, who just spoke that into being. And by grace through faith, that God dwells in you. That's where worship comes from. <laughs> like, what kind of God are you? You know, in some Eastern religions, it's like, I wish you need to find the God that's within. I, I just gotta, I gotta find the God that's within. Actually, God has decided to come in. <laughs> it's not actually me as God. Are y'all hearing me right now? Yeah. It's actually not me as God that I'm just trying to discover who I actually am. No, 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 no. The creator of all things has decided to come and dwell within You are a temple of the living God. Okay. Another implication. Your body, you are in fact a place of worship. The tabernacle, the temple is a place of worship. 
Did you know that you actually don't need to come here on a Sunday morning necessarily to worship God? Did you know that? Actually, uh, when you open your eyes tomorrow morning, you actually a worship space. <laughs> and that has implications for us when it comes to fighting temptation, doesn't it? One way to think about sin and giving into temptation is to think about it as worship. So we're all worshiping something. In many ways, we worship what we think will give us pleasure, satisfaction, wholeness, and peace. So if I look at a particular thing, and I look at that, and I'm tempted to believe that that thing right there will actually bring me wholeness, peace, satisfaction, and joy other than God, and I step into that, I'm actually worshiping. Sin is, in fact, disordered worship of other things. Are y'all hearing me? So as a temple... Actually, as a worship space, those have, this has implications for resisting temptation. Uh, it is actually contrary to who I am to worship something other than God. I am a worship space for God. It's like the old funny thing, like, you know when you're watching a show that you probably, it's probably a little bit inappropriate, and you're watching it with your parents and you didn't realize it, right? And your parents are sitting on either side of you, and all of a sudden something scandalous happens on the screen. You're like, I didn't realize because mom and dad are here. Actually, you have the holy, righteous creator of the universe dwelling within. Uh, much more than mom and dad next to you. Are y'all hearing me this morning? That's good. I'm blessing myself. There's implications for resisting temptation. Another implication. I just want to say this. I understand. I just want to say this. I feel like this is from the Lord. You are not alone. That's an implication of being a dwelling place for God. You, in fact, are not alone. Uh, how, how many times have you thought to yourself, nobody understands me? <laughs> Maybe you're a weirdo, but nobody understands me. And I feel alone. And I'm dealing with this struggle by myself. Actually, as a temple and a dwelling place of God, in fact, you are not alone. You have the creator of the universe within. <laughs> you actually are not alone. You have the most gracious, kind, compassionate teacher and counselor ever dwelling within. You're not alone. You know how, like, we'll get our phones out and we love, like, following the GPS, right? <laughs> Like, I don't know where to go, and I'm just going to plug in this place. I'm going to go wherever this thing tells me to go. Actually, did you know that you have like a divine GPS dwelling within you, within you as an implication of this identity? Did you know that if you don't know what to do or where to go in life, you actually have a divine GPS dwelling within you? Did you know that? That is better than Siri. You know, how, you know how radical it is that we just trust this AI thing to just get us where we're supposed to be? You know what I'm saying? Isn't this weird? I was grabbing dinner at a sushi place. I didn't know where it was. Just plug it in. And I'm just, I'm just blindly driving wherever Siri tells me where to go. Trusting that Siri's going to get me there. Did you, in fact, know that the creator of the universe dwells within more reliable than Siri now, I'm not implying, like, for a sushi joint. Like, go ahead and use Siri. That's fine. 
but like for significant life stuff. Did you know that you can just ask the creator of the universe to guide you? There's so many implications. Ah, so good. Another implication is wherever you go, the kingdom of God is going with you. If you're a temple on a dwelling place of God, that means wherever you go, the, very king, the king and his kingdom is advancing into that space. That's why at work tomorrow, when you're in staff meeting, did you know that the presence and peace of the king of kings can actually enter into your staff meeting because you are there carrying the prince of peace? Wherever you go, the king and his kingdom is going. And finally, because I've been dealing with a lot of individual stuff, help us understand, we are actually a royal priesthood of dwelling places being built together into a temple. (laughs) Like, this has been great so far. But actually, there's a bunch of mobile tabernacles that get together, actually, and are built up into the body of Christ, like over Cincinnati, like a giant temple of worship of Jesus over Cincinnati. Like, the church of Cincinnati is actually a collection of the presence of God in the people of God advancing on the city of Cincinnati. Are y'all hearing me this morning? Because that's good. You're like, where's that in the Bible? 1 Peter 2, 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a temple and a dwelling place of God. All right, we'll close with application. Because you're saying, okay, that sounds really great, Jamie. What do, like, what do I do? What do I do to actually grow in my understanding and live my life as a dwelling place for God? Good thing Jesus tells us exactly what to do. John 15, 4, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You know that word we've been using, dwelling place? That's actually the word that Jesus uses in the verb form, to abide. Did you know that? A dwelling place is a a place where we remain, we stay with Jesus. He is dwelling with us, and we are dwelling with him. We're actually making our home with him, and he is making his home with us. That's what John 14 and 15 are about. I was going to read it. I don't have time to read all of this. But I want to encourage you this week, read John 14 and 15. And just look at the way God, Jesus is talking about his relationship with the Father, his relationship with the Spirit, his relationship with us. And I'm just going to make a couple of observations, practical suggestions from the text, John 14 and John 15. John 14, verse 8. 
Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father. It is enough for us. Jesus said, have I been with you so long that you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Listen. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Did you hear what Jesus just said? He says, the words that I'm speaking are not of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Follow me. Jesus actually did ministry. It was actually the Father's ministry as the Father was dwelling in Jesus. Are y'all hearing me right now? So an understanding that actually, just like Jesus said, abide in me, without abiding in me, you will bear no fruit. Actually, abiding in Jesus, and the Father and the Spirit, is actually where the Christian walk begins. That's where it begins, that's where it continues, and that's where it ends. Actually abiding in Christ. Later, he says the Holy Spirit will actually dwell within you. Again, you're going to be reading this this week, so you're going to get blessed as you read it. The Holy Spirit is dwelling within you. Oh, you got to read this one. Verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. That's the noun form of to dwell. The Father and the Son make their home in us by the Holy Spirit. So let's get practical. I want to encourage you to live present tense with the Father, Son, and Spirit. Very practical. You know like when you go through life and you're thinking, you're, you, you're thinking about meetings that you're going to have in three days? Anybody? Like stressed out about this thing that's coming? I got to have that conversation with that joker. Ugh, this is going to be awful. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking about Paul Raz, by the way. No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Where's Razzer? He's over there, yeah. Like living present tense with Jesus, okay? By the way, he is pre-eternal and he is fully eternal. He can handle what's happening three days from now. Are y'all hearing me? And he's pre-eternal and he's living for it. He is the eternal God. He can handle it. So why don't you live present tense with the Father, Son, and Spirit? If you find yourself thinking about something that's coming and your mind starts doing this, guess what? I have, a, I have a clue for you. You're not abiding. Abiding is, you know what? That is something that's kind of stressing me out. You know what? That is a thing that I'm kind of worried about. You know what? I have the Prince of Peace, and he's not stressed about that. He's not wringing his hands. He knows what's going to happen. I'm going to be present with him right now. I'm going to abide in Jesus. Does that make sense? Very practical. Live present tense, not future tense. Abiding looks like living present tense with the Prince of Peace rather than future tense with your own anxiety. Second practical. When you are anxious, discouraged, frustrated, all of these things, you actually have, the Bible says, that we are to cast our cares on the Lord, for he loves us. So I want to encourage you. Abiding looks like in those moments where I'm feeling discouraged, anxious, depressed, whatever it is, that actually abiding looks like this is, I'm not dealing with this. I'm actually giving this to you, Jesus. I'm actually going to, I'm literally going to cast these cares on you. You got them. So very practical what abiding looks like. You start to feel that way? Be like, hey, Jesus, that's on you. you, you that's on you. Literally on the cross, that's on you. Here you go. 
casting your cares. Third, ask to be filled more and more with the Holy Spirit. This is not some static situation. Actually, Paul says in Ephesians 5 that we are to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. That is, in some way, we are temples that get to continually grow with more of the glory and presence of God. Actually, we get to ask for more of the presence of God. Did you know that? That's actually not a static thing. Like, I come to faith, Holy Spirit comes, great. That's amazing. But actually, we're commanded to continue to pray that we be filled more and more and more. So I encourage you, how often do you pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Did you know that you could pray multiple times a day? I do. Continue asking to be filled. Fourth, get these words in you. Jesus actually says in chapter 15, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If my words abide in you. What does it look like to get this word abiding in us? I want to encourage you, get the word in you. Like, it's hard for me to read. Great, there's audio Bibles. Get the word in you. Another practical, when you walk into a meeting with someone, I want to encourage you to um, check your heart before you engage with someone. And And ask yourself, Am I actually carrying the king and the king? Am I aware of the presence of God actually with me right now as I enter into this meeting or this situation or this encounter? Just as a simple practice. And then when you leave that conversation, I would, I would ask the question, where am I now? Because sometimes we're in a conversation, it gets a little rough. Actually, we get our feelings hurt. We start to get all in our feels. You know, is it just me? And then we walk out of these meetings and the rest of our day we're like, oh, I feel terrible about myself because they said that thing about, right? So entering into conversations and exiting conversations is a time to just check your heart. Am I actually practicing the presence of God today? Very practical. Finally, stay connected to a corporate temple. Stay connected to a family that is pursuing the Lord together. We get in trouble when we think, I'm just going to do my spirituality by myself. Actually, not created for that. Actually, created as a community to pursue the Lord together. That's why we have rhythms like the Lord's Supper. That's why we have rhythms like baptism. That's why we have rhythm, weekly rhythms of worship together of small groups. There's something to abiding in Christ. looks like abiding with the body of Christ together. So I just want to be very practical. Pursuing the Lord, being a temple, a dwelling place with other believers who are temple dwelling places together. We're going to enter into communion. I'm going to invite the band up. As I was studying, this shook me You know, like when you're doing word studies, you're just thinking through, like, what is God saying? It shook me when I come across this passage. This is John chapter 6, verse 56. Jesus says this. He's trying to be provocative, (laughs) which Jesus oftentimes was. He says this. 
Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. Did you know that Jesus said that? (laughs) Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Listen, the rhythms of of a gathered community, including communion, are means by which we abide in Christ. Are y'all hearing me? Like, like what we're doing right now, it's not actually just, I walk over there, take the thing, dip it. Actually, it is, it is an act of abiding to be with my family, going to the table. This bread that is the body of Christ broken for us and the, and the cup, the blood of Christ shed for us. Eating. It is an act of abiding. So I want to encourage you. When you come to the table, as we're singing and worshiping together, come to the table with a posture of, I want to abide with you, Jesus, right now. I want to practice your presence right now with my brothers and sisters. I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to pray. And we're going to come to the table. In a little while, after we've taken communion, I'm going to invite prayer teams to come up after we take communion. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you for your body and your blood broken and shed for us. I ask Holy Spirit that you will meet us at the table. I bless my brothers and sisters. I bless them with hearts and minds that are fixed on you, Jesus. We give you this time. Help us to abide in you, Jesus. Help us to be temples and dwelling places of your presence. We give you this time. And all God's people said, amen. The table is open. You come as you feel led. Let's worship.
invite prayer teams if you're able to come to pray for folks we're going to dismiss if you would like prayer you come and receive prayer from prayer teams but I want to pray over you as we dismiss ourselves let me pray over you right now I bless you with looking in the mirror and seeing a temple of the living God I bless you with practicing the presence of the Father, Son, and Spirit this week. I bless you with present tense Jesus living this week. And I bless you that the Holy Spirit himself within you 
would continue to speak and fashion you into the very image of Christ. That we would be built up into him, the head, as a temple, the very body of Christ here in Cincinnati. So I bless you. And all God's people said, amen. You are dismissed. Come receive prayer if you would like prayer. You are dismissed. Be at peace.